Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homers and Podcast, part of Sooner Sports Radio on the Vsporto Network. We're going to do something a little bit different uh, for our show here. we got a special edition uh, following the big news with uh, ESPN's uh, massive round of layoffs yesterday. Uh, our good friend John Walters of Newsweek uh, has penned a piece of looking you know, at back at uh, kind of the evolution of the network and how all this came to be. So he's going to... You know, we're we're going to talk a little bit about uh, where things uh, maybe went wrong for ESPN, if they if they if we could say that, and then uh, you know, kind of maybe look ahead. So let's go ahead and welcome him on, John. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Alan. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh well, uh, I really enjoyed your uh, look back at uh, everything with ESPN, and you know, I mean, it's a it's such an interesting story. You know, you, you look back and how they kind of really, uh, you know, you mentioned with SportsCenter, really kind of. Um, made themselves such a staple just by kind of even just delivering highlights and, and you know i mean highlighting kind of the personalities of the of you know you noted mainly men who were delivering the highlights you know guys like craig kilborn or dan patrick um mm-hmm. and 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 how much really it, it it does feel like the network has changed since then it has and that's because the world has changed and uh, and i think what I try to do with the piece is, uh, first of all, uh, I've been laid off. Most people, most of the people in our business have been laid <laughs> yeah. off uh, at least once. So, you know, you have empathy for those dozens, if not a hundred or so people who were laid off. Uh, I, I completely do, and I, you know, I want to begin there. Um, and then exploring it, it was very easy to just say, well, they paid too much right fees for the NFL and the NBA, and and that you know gave them a, a you know a shortfall, and they had to make up for somewhere. And that that's mostly true. But I wanted to my piece. I wanted to try to explore where the hubris came from to overpay uh, so much for that. And and if you, for example, ever saw the movie The Big Short or read the excellent book The Big mm-hmm. Short by Michael Lewis. There was a time in this country where people just thought no matter what m- amount of money they paid for a house, they could sell it for more. And the big short was the reckoning when people finally said, no, you've hit, you, you know, hit the bubble. And, and I think what I tried to do in the piece was show that when ESPN was rising to the top, um, there was a, an atmosphere where nothing could challenge SportsCenter because it was the early 90s to mid-90s and none of us had cell phones or smartphones None of us were really on the internet yet, and we actually had to wait for Sports Center to get national highlights of Um And then it changed, and you know ESPN started changing with it. But at the same time, I don't think they thought there was. I, I think they just thought that was a blip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking about this before we got on the you know phone together. I thought. Uh, right now, ESPN is spending $1.9 billion a year on the NFL to, to broadcast NFL games. And I have to honestly say, it would not make one difference to me as someone who likes ESPN if they had the NFL or not. I think they could do everything they do, sports center, college basketball, college football, the NBA, baseball games, you know, excellent programming without having to pay $1.9 billion a year for one NFL game a week, and nobody would miss it. I really don't think they would. NFL primetime was an excellent show. You know, we love Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, and know that's going off. But do they, there's nothing about ESPN where I've ever said, man, if they just only broadcast pro football, it would be a better channel. 
Um, so I think that was like a, an epiphany I had today, saying, why do they pay so much for a property that they didn't really even need? Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a. It's a great question, and you know, you talk about about the hubris of it, and to a degree too. Though, I mean, while they were, you mentioned the, you know, how the how things have changed, and the, you know, for a long time there, though, I mean, you could also make an argument that a lot of this was ESPN really kind of taking its eye off the ball. I mean, you mentioned, you know, they tried to get a, you know, a, uh, all those restaurants up and running. Right. You know, I mean, which was just basically like a glorified TGI Fridays, you know? I mean, right. at one point they were they were putting out their own cell phones, I think, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I think, uh, you yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, like, I, I realize that's all kind of, you know, tangentially related, but, I mean, you also have a core business. Right, and it was symptomatic of this, you know, we're not even 25 years old yet, and we're going to call ourselves the worldwide leader of sports, and we're going to dominate every last corner. And that's ambitious, but if you forget what brought got you there, um, then you're in trouble. And I just think what happened was, uh, you know, the, the, what I, for anyone who hasn't read the story I wrote, like I let off talking about the crawl, because to me the crawl and that's the graphic that runs underneath, you know, uh, during Sports Center that tells you the scores. You know, the crawl was the first concession as ESPN had to make to technology that they understood their audience to get the scores of games without needing Sports Center. So they put the crawl on and say, "We hear you." As opposed to NBC, for example, who just in the Olympics still made made people wait 14 hours for an event that they all needed, you know, the, the mm-hmm. outcome of. But so that was their concession to it. But they didn't learn from that. They still uh, spent money as if as if everything was that was going to be you know ESPN is the king of the world. And uh, another thing I thought of in the last day or two is as much as I like a lot of people who would let go, there was no one who was let go who will keep you from watching ESPN. It wasn't like Kirk Street got let go. It wasn't as if Jay Billis got let go. It wasn't as if John Gruden got let go. They're good people. Uh, the ones that I know are all hard workers. But ESPN was too bloated as a company, um, and this was a you know a tactical move. But it was also I can't blame them because they just had too many people on staff. They were doing they're doing too many things that don't make enough money, um, and I think they finally started realizing it. And, and the problem for me was you have a CEO or at least a vice president of content, John Skipper, who. In 2011, when everybody already started, you know, people like in his position are paid to know about cord cutting and streaming and bundling. That's their job, to go to the NFL and pay 73% more to extend your Monday Night Football contract than what you were already paying, to be that oblivious to the landscape that was out ahead of you is, is just, you know, that's, you should be fired. I'm sorry, because that move has cost these people their jobs. Uh, if you want to go one for one on it, and that was just that you know that's what the CEO is for. The, you know, the vice president is paid to, to know those things and to make the right decisions, and they classically goofed. And now, you know, 300 people in 2015, and now another hundred or so yesterday have all had their lives changed. And, and I, you know, if you've been through it, you know, like it sucks and you're going to survive, but it changes your life. You, you know, you, the road is closed and you have to go find another road, and it disrupts. Everything, not just professionally, but otherwise. So, uh, it's, it's to me, it's irresponsible, and it's also 
you know, that's where the blame lies. Yeah, you know, and there's an. I think that honestly, there's actually another way to frame that too, and it could be. And the way I look at it is, Skipper and everybody at ESPN made a call, you know, however long ago, that their business now was going to be televising live sports, and that you know a lot of the stuff that they were doing otherwise that wasn't bringing in money. Or, you know, wasn't going to be part, you know, going to serve that mission of televising live sports. Uh, you know, at that point, when you make that kind of, of big time bet, you have to structure your company around that. And they still kept trying to do so much. And I was trying to explain to people yesterday that, like, these people getting laid off, uh, you know, the, you know, it's anytime, you know, you have a situation where you're laying off 10% of your workforce and there's no like market shock here you know there's no event it, this was all very foreseeable a long time ago when ESPN was making these bets i mean what that does to you know to disrupt the company internally and to uh, affect morale long term i mean uh-huh. these are that that's a that's just a failure of leadership in my opinion <laughs> I agree 100%. And I went to the Sports Illustrated, which I, I, you know, I went back there and worked there for a couple of years and then got another job. But when you start laying off people who've been there 15 to 20 years who are still productive and good, you destroy the culture of the place because they came up from people and learned things. And then they, those people pass it on. And if it's like a successful enterprise that, that the ESPN is and Sports Illustrated was, when you just cut off uh know the, the generations when you cut off the link uh, destroy the culture because there's no one to pass it on to the next generation and I think that was one of the things uh, they've done and, and you know if they still are a young company they're not even 40 years old yet yeah um, and, and I, I just you know this is it's a new landscape because there aren't you know when ESPN came aboard they were competing against ABC, CBS, and NBC, in their minds, at least for eventually getting uh, network, you know, sports programming. But it's all changed now. Uh, it's not just other TV networks, as you know. It's it's Amazon and mm-hmm. it's you know Direct TV and and the NFL doesn't care. Whoever wants to give them money, they're going to take. And mm-hmm. if you're as the time we're talking right now, Amazon just reported earnings an hour and a half ago, and their stock just hit an all-time high. So. Amazon, if it wants to, can become a player in this business. Netflix can become a player in this business. And somebody was suggesting today that Disney should buy Netflix, which would be hilarious, but it would also be a great move because, of course, Disney owns ESPN. Mm-hmm. So that could be one way for ESPN to, uh, you know, take out a main competition. But it, unless it, if it doesn't, then they're going to have to worry about Netflix having a Super Bowl uh, or any other thing down the line. And, and so, for me... Like, you know, I was 13 or 14 years old when both ESPN and MTV made their debut, which I think was within a year of each other. Maybe, and, and MTV lost its, its integrity or lost its mission long ago. Uh, and they don't, and, and they just want to satisfy the being who they were. They were aiming for something more, and I think they lost it. And that's to me what ESPN has to figure out. Like, are we, uh, are we trying to be the best sports channel we can be, 
or are we going to be doing Keeping Up with the Kardashians and, and uh, you know, live sporting events and nothing but? Um, because, I, you know, I'm sitting there watching the best, to me, the best original content they produce every day comes out at midnight. And that's that's almost, like, you know, symbolic of what's wrong with them right now. They have a great show, Scott Van Pelt, you know, Midnight ESPN Sports Center, but it's at midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a night owl show. So, yeah, if you're in L.A., it's great. Uh, even where you are, it's not as bad. But in the East Coast, like, I'm not saying it's on midnight every night to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anyway, so it's, it's, they've, got some, they've got some decisions to make, but at the same time, like, I know people have been, you know, making this argument that they have this liberal agenda, and I don't disagree that there have been things they've done that, like, if, if you are not, a, you know, a guy in the woods liberal, you'll be, you know, annoyed by it or upset by it. But I don't think that's going to keep you from watching your favorite sports shows. I really don't. Um, Whether or not you have, like, it's just that they have, they've overextended themselves, and yesterday was a pullback because they can't keep living like that. Yeah, you know, to add on that liberal agenda thing, that's uh, interesting to me that, because I I think that people look at it and and assume that somewhere down, you know, from that's coming from the top down, and I, I think what really happened, and if you look at ESPN's workforce in general, the, the people that at least are on TV, if you look at the people who are writing for them, they actually have an incredibly diverse staff. Uh, and, and they've done a lot also to, um, you know, bring uh, women along. You know, I mean, they're giving women, you know, uh, you know, big, uh, pretty big uh, radio spots, for example, on, on weekends, things like that. Um, and, and I think that people mistake like, oh, ESPN's getting more liberal, really, for an attempt to actually one one of the things that I I'd, I'd give them credit for is you know diversifying the the workforce and bringing a lot of people in who are in, in probably overall underrepresented within uh, the media landscape as a whole. I agree, but at the same time, I think that's where the argument comes from. People are saying. Well, if you have all this diversity and everything, it's only a matter of time until those agendas get addressed more than, for lack of a better word, like flyover state agendas mm-hmm. or red state agendas. And, and I understand, I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I understand the criticism, and I, you know, I've, I've written about it. I, no, yeah. I agree with people who said, like, <laughs> you were upset with the Caitlyn Jenner thing. I, I got it. It was shoving it down people's throats. But um, as far as, you know, I, 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 everything that's sometimes when something is new and different and good, it it catches fire, and and that's what the Sports Center was in the '90s. Like ESPN was around in the '80s, but it wasn't really registering yet because not a lot of people had cable, and ESPN didn't really have Sports Center the way we know it now. Um, and then in the early '90s, they got a few very talented guys who had a certain cheekiness to them. Um, and it became a phenomenon. It was like, you know, grunge. Uh, but 10 years past that moment, ESPN became a brand. And when you become a brand, I, uh, whether you're McDonald's or ESPN, like, I may be the best hamburger backyard barbecue guy you know cooking hamburgers, but I go to McDonald's and I have to make that burger a certain way. I don't have a choice. It doesn't matter how good a chef I am. And to me, with so many employees at ESPN, they became that McDonald's short order cook. No matter how talented they were, 
ESPN didn't let, doesn't let you become an individual with rare exceptions. If you're Bill Walton, yeah. If you're Jay Billis, yeah. John Gruden, yeah. But if you are a guy covering the Chicago Bears for ESPN.com and you don't do it exactly the way everybody else does it in those other 31 NFL cities, you've got an editor in Bristol who's telling you, why aren't you doing it this way? And when you, when you kill the originality that way, um, it, it, I think, as you know, your, your product starts to suffer. I mean, it's, it's hilarious to me how great in his time Bill Simmons was. And he was, you know, he was talented and he was hardworking and I'm giving him all the credit in the world. Um, and then, uh, you know, ever, but, but that was like he was an outlier. That, that's not the way ESPN mostly wants to operate. And, you know, give John Walsh a ton of credit for recognizing his talent and giving him a platform. But then, of course, you don't know how that all ended. Um, yeah. to me, that's the kind of person you need some people like that at ESPN. Like, and, and I just think like the brand is too important now. Um, I saw the same thing I worked at Sports Illustrated. As soon as you're dealing with quarterly earnings and middle management and all the crap that comes with corporate structure, that's great if you're you know putting widgets together. But when you're trying to do an enterprise that is creative, it's really really hard to give the people the freedom to be great. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And I guess my kind of my last question here is something that you brought up yesterday is. How much uh, of a space is there going to be for, I mean, journalism at at ESPN with kind of with the big J, so to speak? You know, I mean, uh, you you mentioned it right off the bat. I mean, the fir- the E in ESPN starts for, stands for entertainment, and uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the best stuff that they do, for example, I mean, they've done so many so many good, uh, you know, kind of uh, investigative pieces through outside the yeah, lines over the years. And they stuff. have. I mean, but that's if you think about it, that's that's antithetical to, uh, you know, the the product they're trying to sell. If it's if it is live sports, I mean, you know, probing <laughs> probing, you know, uh, domestic violence in the NFL and, and things along those. I mean, you know, that's not going to help with uh, you know your some of your no. biggest customers. You know, well, like I mean, I would think you probably remember the Frontline series that they were working on with PBS about yeah, like BP, yeah. and then all of a sudden they got out of it and. I don't know if you've ever watched The Wire or anybody listening has ever watched The Wire, but like, especially in the first few seasons, that was like a that that was a, a unit that was basically sent off to do its own thing, and and they basically said like we're going to investigate these drug dealers and we just need space. Like we're literally in another building, we're far from the police headquarters. Don't bother around, don't bother us, and we'll produce results. But just let us have some freedom. And to me, that's sort of what Outside the Lines is at ESPN. Like, no mm-hmm. one's counting on ESPN Outside the line um, to, to, you know, pr- produce money. But it's sort of like a little prize that the bosses at ESPN can say, hey, we do do journalism, and we do mm-hmm. really good journalism. And that outfit is sort of protected because they don't have to produce the same numbers and ratings. They just, their, their job is to give, you know, some legitimacy to the J uh, idea at ESPN, but that's not standard. That's not uniform, and and so to me, it like reminds me of the, D, the you know the unit, like Lieutenant Daniel's unit in mm-hmm. the Wire, because it's like not everybody can get away with doing it that way. But if you show that you can produce some results, so I, you know, I, I they've made efforts. I think the Grantland was like, all right, let's give it a try, uh, but then it was just hemorrhaging money, and they're just a very 
they've got tentacles everywhere, and and sometimes uh, you you spread yourself way too thin, um, and you just forget. Like people came, you know, it's like people come to Chick Fil A for the chicken sandwich. Make sure that's good. If if you've got a you know fruit at the at the counter and yogurt, but your chicken sandwich isn't good anymore, people are going to stop coming. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Well, well, I'm getting ready to go watch the uh, NFL Draft red carpet uh, here, hosted by uh, Chris Berman or whoever they've got on here. So uh, I'll let you, I'll let you go, John. But I really do appreciate it, man. And uh, always a huge fan of your work and 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 uh, all the different tentacles you have yourself and all the different topics out there and everything. So really appreciate well, you coming on, man. It's an honor to be asked to be on, Alan. Anytime you need me, I'm happy to do it. And seriously, thanks again for uh, for the chat. All right, all right. Thanks again to our uh, guest, John Walters of Newsweek. Uh, you know, one of my favorite writers out there. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at jdubs88, and uh, you know, keep up with all the good work that he's doing there. Thank you all so much for joining us for this special edition of the podcast. Uh, for the Blatant Homers and Podcasts, I'm Alan Kenny.